continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 100, Continuous Improvement and Engineering the Life of Your Dreams with Zach White. Hey, this is the Edges of Lean's 100th episode. Yay! So I'm starting out today with a message of gratitude to all of my listeners. Thank you for your support of the Edges of Lean. And if you're a listener who would like to tell your story on the Edges of Lean, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Let me introduce today's guest. Zach White is an engineer, like many people who are in lean and continuous improvement. He is here to share his story of discovering that his technical engineering knowledge was not enough to help him have a successful career and a fulfilling lifestyle. He learned a lot in his journey from burnout to happiness and now coaches engineering leaders in engineering their own careers and lifestyles. Zach White, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Bella, so great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to have you here today. Hey, Zach, can you introduce yourself to uh, all the listeners and tell us what you do and a little bit about your path to doing what you do today? Absolutely. So, Zach White, I'm the founder and CEO at Oasis of Courage, Awaco for short. And what we do is coach engineering leaders and STEM professionals to build the career of their dreams but in the context of the life of their dreams. And Bella, that began for me being an engineer myself, studied mechanical engineering back at Purdue, boiler up for all my boilermakers out there, and got into the workforce, hungry for success, just like every other engineer I know. But I mentioned to you before we hit record, Bella, I only had one strategy. And my strategy was to work harder, put in long hours, grind it out, and get smarter, just keep learning. And that worked for my whole life, all through school. It was a great strategy in college, right? But in my career, what I found out the hard way is that that was not enough. And in fact, what it did was it put me on a one-way street towards burnout. I, I ended up divorced, depressed, extremely embarrassed about how my life ended up in this place that was truly a rock bottom for me when it was the last thing I ever expected or wanted. And none of that success at work mattered when I was sitting there across from a divorce attorney, you know, just completely ashamed. And so I asked some new questions coming out of that time, Bella, you know, how do you do this? How do you create success in your career in a balanced way, in a fulfilling and happy way and not experience all this pain that I just did and found new answers. And my career really exploded. I created tremendous success at work but it was a totally different experience. I got remarried. I'm so happy with my you know, marriage. It's been amazing. My life was balanced. My health was better. And in the process of that, fell in love with coaching. I had coaches myself and I really enjoyed being coached. So I started training to coach others. I thought, hey, it'll help the people on my team as an engineering leader. Why not? And I fell in love with coaching. And in 2019, Bella, I left my engineering career to start this coaching organization for engineers to help them avoid those burnout rock bottom experiences that I had. Well, that's great. So uh, I know a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are coaching themselves either as independent consultants or in in a company or doing it inside an organization as as a coach in an organization, or perhaps if they're lean managers, they're coaching in the workplace about the work. 
So there's a lot of different definitions of coaching. So tell me Zach's definition of coaching. Well, I think about coaching as one end of the leadership continuum, where on one side is the idea of directing people. On the other side is coaching people. And your directing is where it's my agenda. If I'm the director, it's my agenda and I'm telling you what needs to get done. I'm directing your activities or the strategy or whatever, and it's coming from my agenda. Whereas coaching comes from your agenda. If you're the client or you're the team member, you're the direct report, it's me acting in service of your agenda. It's helping you become a better leader, helping you become a better engineer, helping you reach your own goals. And in our careers, we're going to be doing both. There's times where we do need to direct people. We need to set the strategy. We have accountabilities in our roles to make sure that certain results are getting done. And, and we may need to manage or direct the team, but there's other times when we will need to coach. We want strong top performers, people who are resilient, people who are courageous and confident in their work and coaching them to help them become better in those goals is what we want to do. So to me, coaching as a skill set and a discipline is understanding how to help people really step into their best, becoming their own top performer on their agenda. And I think that's where we get very confused sometimes is people see coaching as you know hitting a specific result. And I would argue, well, if that's the result the client wants, then absolutely. But if it's the result I want, then we might be getting into some gray area between your coaching, managing, and directing. But that's the key. Coaching is about your agenda. And that's what we want to focus on as a coach. So let's talk about coaching engineers and, and people in STEM, uh, because I think this is such a huge need. Uh, we talked a little bit before, before this podcast about the kind of training that people in engineering have, and, and it sounds like you experienced it as well. So what does what did, do you learn in training? What is the what is the the driver in edu- in engineering education? Specifically around lean, Bella, or how coaching is deployed into the workplace? I, I would say spe- you know, specifically about what you're taught is important as you're in school. What what what, oh, what is oh, important? Sure. Yeah. You know, well, this is a really important question because the thing that I believe is that the educational system, you know, my mechanical engineering degree from Purdue represents a a certificate, a, a an awareness that's recognized by the broader public that I have the skills, I have the fundamental knowledge, the first principles knowledge necessary to be an engineer, to do mechanical engineering work and to solve mechanical engineering problems. That's it. And so what's important in that to me is the core knowledge. Are you able to solve an engineering problem? And what's tricky then is companies expect the university to also prepare you to deploy that knowledge and execute those skills in the context of an organization and with other people. And so the universities try their best to create you know, team projects and collaborative environments and situations where you're going to learn the dynamics of organizations. But let's be frank, it's very difficult to recreate that in a university environment where you have individual grades and individual requirements, it's not a company. 
And, you know, frankly, again, the degree does not represent Zach is a great team player. Zach is very confident. Right. Zach is very, you know, uh, willing to take risks. That's not what my degree represents. It just says I know how to solve mechanical engineering problems and I know what it takes. So, yeah, Bella, to your point, I think truthfully, uh, we do want engineers who know how to apply the knowledge in real world situations. That to me is the most important thing you can do in your university days is get involved in a club or an activity, you know, like SAE, like, um, you know, a solar car program, like you fill in the blank, pick, pick a, a place where you can go practice in real world problems the best you can get great internships, et cetera. But I honestly think we put a little too much expectation on the university to prepare someone for both when that's really not what it was designed to do. And they're doing a great job closing the gap, but it's it's a big ask for somebody to come out of their undergraduate with both. It is. And, and the need for expert engineers is only increasing, right? The technical skill that's and right. the, is, you know, the, the technical skill is absolutely required and needs and needs to be there. I think the challenge that I see, and I see this with other STEM programs as well, is that people come out of that unprepared for the people side of what they have to do, whether you know they've decided that they are going to create their own company or they're going to go work in somebody else's company. Um, you know, they whether they're running a startup or whether they're going to be in um, you know, working for, you know, for who knows who, um, they're not prepared for the people side of that. And um, so when they realize that, I, I mean, it sounds, sounds like to me when you had that, I think even an even bigger realization of that, I think sometimes it's hard for, for and I'll say us, because I'm coming out of that kind of background too, it's hard for us to accept, hey, there's a gap, right? I have to, this, here's a gap I have to fill. And just because I think things a certain way doesn't mean that everybody understands what I'm saying, everybody understands what I'm doing, or that, um, that what I'm doing makes sense in the context of a much more complex system that frankly cannot be modeled using engineering diagrams, right? That's <laughs> well, not that we haven't tried, right, Bella? I mean, every yeah. every engineer wants to model human behavior, and I'm sure in an AI revolution that we're in, people are seeking to create that. But no, I, I agree with you. The, the notion that we spend so much time in the technical and then we enter into this human dynamic where emotional intelligence and social intelligence skills are critical to our success is something that the engineering ego you know, the, the science, technology, mathematics, these people who work in spaces where intelligence, IQ, is is so highly valued and critical to our success. I mean, not to dismiss it at all. We do need that knowledge to solve these incredibly difficult problems. But because our ego investment into IQ is so high, it becomes a blind spot for most of us. And I absolutely include myself in this category. My reliance on intelligence to solve every problem in my life, including my failing marriage and my struggling health. It's like there was no number of books I could read about marriage that would solve the problems in my marriage. It wasn't about knowledge, right? And it's, you know, that's one example in Zach's life, but it shows up at work too. 
you know, it doesn't matter how smart you get about certain things. If you're not able to interact in a social setting where it is in many cases, Bella, irrational, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And we're just so like, ah, well, what's, what is this? Why is this person acting this way? Why is someone showing up, you know, angry today? Why are they depressed today? What, what's going on? That is a whole different world. And to your point, the ego will create a blind spot there to say, well, I can go get this done on my own, or I can solve this another way or forget that person. And unfortunately, that won't take you far in the world's biggest problems that most engineers and scientists want to solve. Well, we've only been talking about the workplace here, but you are also talking about the rest of your life, right? Because right. when you come to work, you're coming as a product of what everything else that's happening in, in your life. So talk a little bit about that and what you learned about the relationship between work and life. And you know, we 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 have all these crazy ways of, of thinking about it. But what tell me, tell us what you learned. Well. The first thing that I discovered the hard way is that work-life balance is a broken model for how to think about this. Just the phrase itself, when you hear work-life balance, what's the picture that comes into your mind? You, you literally sort of imagine a scale where on one side is work, on the other side is this thing called life. And somehow, what, am I trying to make them equal? Or is it is his life need to be heavier than work? You know, what are we really saying? And Bella, for me, that's completely broken in the way to think about it because work is part of your life. You just imagine one Venn diagram where the big outer circle is your life. And inside of that are many sub-circles, one of which, a quite large one, is your work. And what I work with my clients on is what we call whole life balance. We want to take this entire picture of who you are, all the things that you value, and make decisions on your priorities across the whole picture and be intentional across the whole picture and set boundaries between where work ends and your time at home with your family begins or when time with your family might end and you go focus on your health and go to the gym and work out because that's a priority as well. And being much more focused on the big picture and not so zoomed in on, oh, well, I worked 60 hours this week, so I'm going to go on a vacation in a month to make up for that. And I'll take a few days off. Well, you know, you, you can't make up for overworking by taking a vacation because you, you don't have the luxury of vacating your problems. They're going to be there when you come back. And so we really want to focus on solutions across your whole in life. Fact, those those problems may actually follow you on vacation because exactly. if you if you haven't set that boundary right, if you're working the 60-hour weeks, then nobody's going to think twice about texting you um, while you're, you're on so vacation, right. even if you're in a completely different time zone. So, um, yeah. 100% true. And so, Bella, to your point, what have I learned through this? It's that when we take a whole life perspective, we really focus on what are your values, what is your vision? for the big picture, it starts to become a lot easier to say, well, therefore, how do I want to show up at work? And what are the decisions I need to make to your point? You know, maybe 40 hours is not aligned with your vision. It's okay to work 60 hours a week if that's truly authentic to what you want and you're willing to make the sacrifices in your family or your health or whatever else may go to the wayside, your sleep. You know. But let's be really careful about assuming that that's what you want. 
just because other people are doing it. And, and that's the thing I have found, Bella's so much of my life coming out of college, I didn't actually know what I wanted. I just saw what other people were doing and assumed that that was the road to success because it worked for them or, well, just social cues, right? Everybody's working 60 hours. I must need to work 60 hours. Especially and, at that age, right? That's Oh, for sure. And, and so it took this rock bottom experience for me to wake up and realize, wow, like, is that really even what I wanted? And the irony is when I stopped chasing success on other people's terms and I started getting really clear about what success meant to me in my whole life, my career actually increased faster. I got more promotions after doing that when working fewer hours because every hour I was at my best, right? I was happier working less and doing these other things than I was going hard after promotions. Like everything rose together in my life because how you do anything is how you do everything. And so it really shaped the picture. And it, yeah. And there's really, there's a lean principle behind that. Right. And that is, that is the idea of, um, you know, excuse me for a minute is, is single piece flow, right? If you're going to work, then work, get it done. Don't, you know, don't try to be doing these other things at the same time. Uh, but it's, it is really hard to, um, to apply to life as the, uh, a whole life, right? As expectations have blurred. And you talked about what it was like when you graduated from college. I think there's a whole other set of expectations now about availability, about um, time, about what, you know, what people should be doing. And that's shifting again, post pandemic with people and figuring out, you know, it's actually nice to be home. I like to be in my house, you know, so so there's all of that going on. The question that I wanted to ask you, if I could just take this a little bit of a different direction, it's actually Please. part of the same question, I think. Um, so a, a, a lot of the people I know who listen to this podcast are women. And I think that, that, that women get an additional set of pressures on top of that. And I wanted to ask you, do you coach women? And what do you, if you do, what have you learned from coaching women? I do coach women. The percentages align very closely with the percentages of women in the engineering workforce. So it's mm -hmm. it's probably, you know, 30% of my clients at most that are female. But the thing that I would say for sure to your point that's true is you know, women bring a whole additional set of expectations and challenges with them. I agree with that. You know, there's this question around when is the right time for me to start my family if they want mm -hmm. to have one. And, and there is a biological time-based element to that where as men don't have that, you know, active in our typical thinking about when we need to make certain decisions. And so I have had a lot of clients where there's additional questions. You know, when you think about that vision, what do I want to create in my life? You know, if you're a 28, 29-year-old single female engineer and you're building a successful career, you have stronger considerations around that vision. Does it include a husband and kids and a family or what is it for you? And there's no right or wrong answer to that. But the thing that I've seen is it's even harder to create clarity on that picture at times because there's so many more voices and expectations at play. Mm, yeah. The noise of your mom and culture and companies and the other successful women in your organization and 
you know, even just the, the women who are out there seeking to create equality for gender and, and putting this pressure unintentionally, you know, on women to say, hey, we want you to become one of these next level leaders at the vice president level and show other women what's possible. All of that is good, but it's also a very heavy amount of input that's difficult to silence to get to that authentic answer for yourself. What do I want? as an individual. And there's, you know, for me as a coach, there's no right answer to that. There's your answer to that. And what I aspire to help any of my clients, male or female do is, is shut down some of that noise and just take the time, maybe for the first time in their life to authentically ask and answer, what do I want and why do I want it? And, you know, the, the answer is very, as greatly as human personality, right? Everybody has a unique right. answer. No two right. clients have ever said the same thing. But I think you're right that women have a unique challenge in getting to that authenticity because there's so much more going on for them. Yeah, there's a yeah a lot a lot of voices in society saying you know all kinds of things about what women should be doing, when they should be doing it, and and yeah. even you know what how they should spend their home life, you know, when, when you're home, to how totally. you, what, what are you supposed to be doing? Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how much time do you spend in, in a client engagement, just getting to that? What is it that I want? Well, we work through our you know, kind of flagship program in 90 days. And it's a very immersive experience, Bella. It's an intensive. You know, we're spending anywhere from one to three hours in coaching every week. And then there's some exercises and training and things that are happening on top of that. So it's a big commitment of time to go through our signature program. But the reason for that is if we just dabble, if we just put a little bit of energy in, we never actually break through that threshold of of creating clarity and building new momentum. And so to your point, how long does it take? You know, that first month is all dedicated to uncovering and peeling back the layers of our mindsets and and how the growth mindset shows up versus a fixed mindset and talking about core values and what are those values and what are the rules that you hold in your life around those values and then we talk vision you know what is that authentic vision and then the goals we extrapolate from that that's about a month of coaching just to get to that point and we haven't even done anything in terms of new decisions and actions to go implement and create that vision in your life so it's it's deep work and uh, i don't ever want to lie to somebody and say oh just sign up and it's a couple you know quick fixes and you're going to love your life to be happy takes courage takes work to live your vision and know clearly what it is takes energy, takes work. Um, but it's just like a flywheel for all of our you know, physicists and engineers out there. It's like, it takes more energy to get it spinning. But once it's spinning, right. it's not so hard to keep the momentum. And it's the same way in your life. You know, If there's something that's stuck, something that's not moving forward for you, to get that going is going to take some serious effort. But once you're moving, inertia helps you out. It's not so hard. It's it'll it'll keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's 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 a deep exercise. Do people find sometimes that it's painful? How and how do you contrast that with therapy? Because I this is a, another important thing to consider when you know what's where's the line between coaching and therapy? I always say coaching is looking forward, right? We're we're always trying to look forward, but um 
but how 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 many people find that oh wow you know this actually you know this this, this some of this peeling is hurts a little bit mm-hmm. well maybe i'll answer the second half first and then go back to okay. the does it hurt okay. question first it does hurt and i'll tell you more about that but i agree with you the distinction between coaching and therapy or counseling or clinical psychology is you know i think about a car coaching is is looking through the windshield right it's all about forward progress forward movement i need a destination i'm dodging you know other obstacles and making sure i don't get into a wreck but it's yeah. focused forward it's about progress and and the rear view mirror is small in your car the vehicle of your life because all we need to do is just check behind and make sure that nothing's coming up from behind us etc but i don't really need to focus there counseling and therapy is focusing on your past because there's something there that is chained or anchored to your vehicle that's preventing you from moving forward so if you take that car metaphor it's like you're literally you know somebody hitched up to the you know the, the the ball joint on the back of your truck and is holding you back and you're hitting the gas pedal trying to accelerate and move forward in your life but something has been holding you back and you're not moving so you're burning a lot of fuel you're burning a lot of energy but you're not actually going anywhere the realm of therapy is to go understand well what are those those wounds that grief that trauma of your past that might be holding you back and to do the work to release those things so that now when you hit the gas in your life, you're able to move forward. And so a lot of my clients who work in coaching also have a therapist and uh-huh. they're doing this work at yeah. the same time. And I do encourage people, if you have a trauma or a wound that keeps showing up in coaching, it's always the excuse you lean on or you find yourself saying, well, if I hadn't had this problem or if this hadn't happened to me or because I'm not so smart or because you fill in the blank, that might be something to go explore in the realm of, of therapy. Um, but yeah, coaching is all about forward progress. If you're not ready to move, then you're not ready for coaching. The pain though, <laughs> it, it absolutely can be yeah. painful. It absolutely can be painful because like I said, we still have the rearview mirror in the car. We're still going to peek behind and we're going to bring those lessons from the past into our presence to make sure that we're applying them and learning them. And sometimes, you know, a coach, part of my job is to shine a light on the blind spots, to shine a light on things that you may not see. And the ego really wants you to keep it in the dark. <laughs> it doesn't want you to see those things because it can be humbling. It can be um, difficult. And then also part of going forward, Bell, is taking risk. You know, if you want to reach right, your dreams, yeah. if you want to build towards your goals, you're going to get uncomfortable. We're going to challenge you to do new things, try new behaviors, to act in a new way. And there's a risk that you might fail. There's a risk that you might look silly the first time or someone might reject you. All of those fears are going to come up as well. And I think that's a big part of the pain of coaching is facing your fear and asking like, am I courageous enough? Am I willing to go do that anyway, even though I'm afraid of what might happen? And you know, it's, it's very scary sometimes to face these new challenges of, you know, you want to be a public speaker or you want to make that cold phone call to a potential vendor or whatever it is, everybody has their thing. That could be painful too. Yeah, and and that's where I think that you know, from a lean perspective, we like to think about this. And this is also like an engineering concept. Like if you don't know what's going to happen, 
you don't create a huge, gigantic plan based on that. All you need to do is run an experiment, right? Right. If you, yes. yeah, you're not, if you, your first public speaking engagement probably shouldn't be in front of 10,000 people, right? but can you try six? You know, let's try six, you know, and, um, you know, how did that feel? What did you learn from it? And, and moving on from that. But, but I love what you're saying about the courage piece of it. But, you know, you, at some point, there is that moment where you have to, as a, you know, as a person who is growing, be willing to take that step that will lead you mm -hmm. somewhere where you don't know where it's going to lead. Yes. Yeah, stepping into the unknown. It's, it's funny, Bella, because you know, as continuous improvement leaders in our companies and the work we do in Lean, we recognize that there's a lot of unknowns. And to your point, we live in that world of, well, let's go design a quick quick test, quick experiment to understand this unknown. Then let's test and see this one. Or, okay, let's try this. And we have that very uh, high willingness to experiment and fail. And we're good at that at work. But then we yeah. apply that into our own life and we don't see it that way. And it's so scary. It's like, oh, well, ah, public speaking is just too frightening. I don't even want to run that test of six people yeah. because it's so scary. And I think the more we can take that lens of like, hey, it's okay to run a test and fail in your life. In fact, that's exactly what you must do. And the faster you can design the experiment and run it, the faster you'll get to the goal. Just like in right. Lean, the sooner, you know, don't design a very big complex experiment if a super simple one will do. Right. What's exactly. that minimum viable yeah. test? And it's the same in your life. Yeah. But again, this is where the ego and this emotional side can get in the way because it, it doesn't feel the same. It sounds the same intellectually to talk about the two, but it certainly does not feel the same when we're doing it. Well, that is, and that is really the truth. Right. But, you know, and I'm thinking about that in my own life. There are things even, you know, at my advanced age, I still really don't want to try. Right. And it does it takes it it takes understanding that if it doesn't go well it's not necessarily a reflection on me you know it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a reflection on your client you know personality it doesn't mean you're a terrible person it doesn't mean that you are everything you've ever done in life is wrong it just means right here's a you know here's something to learn here and what and what do we learn and that's why having a coach is so helpful right because a coach can can you can have that conversation with the coach and and learn to look at it in a way that is less emotional and more more about learning mm -hmm. yeah well and, and to allow your emotions to play the role they're intended you know it's sometimes as engineering leaders or or scientists and folks who have this analytical IQ driven approach to life, we have a fear of our emotions. I don't want to be irrational. I don't want to be emotional. I mm. want to be very logical and, and analytical. And, and so I think part of working with a coach for folks like us, that's powerful is to create safety around letting your emotions come forward and to look at them and ask like, well, what is that emotion here to help you discover why why are we feeling angry right now what's the root of that anger and is there something in that root cause that we want to take action on is there something there that you need to do to become the person you need to become you know if you're reacting with anger every time somebody challenges your idea in a meeting and that anger keeps showing up well that's going to hold you back in your career 
So let's do the yeah. work. But but it's very difficult to have that conversation about the anger with your boss. You know, that's that's they're not trained to have that conversation for one. And it's also very it's a very vulnerable conversation. And your boss may or may not take that the right way. That's probably not the right forum for that. So having a coach is really powerful you know, to be able to bring your whole self, which includes your emotions, to the table. What's your your um so that you talked about how doing a 90 day program. Do people ever stay with you beyond the 90 days? Do people come back and say, you know, uh, Zach, I'd like to check in in three months or six months. I need a I need a little refresh. Absolutely. So what we do, Bella, is you know, almost without exception, every client I have goes through the 90 day immersion because there's so much foundational work to do. And like we said earlier, we need to get that flywheel spinning, or you could yeah. think of it as a change in the trajectory. We need that inflection point in our lives. Then a lot of our clients, about half of them, will sign up for some level of ongoing support for six to 12 months after that, where we now focus on the execution of their new plans. Right? We've created a sense of clarity around your vision. You have these guiding principles of your values and the rules and the boundaries that you want to set. Well, it's still very easy to fall back into old habits yeah. and patterns because your nervous system, I tell everyone, like we want to believe that we're so intentional to go towards success. But the truth is your entire nervous system is wired for survival, not for success. And if you're left alone, the odds are very, very good that you're going to fall back into that comfort zone and those old patterns and behaviors, even now knowing what you know, having done the coaching. So we really encourage clients, you know, if you don't have the support system around you to help you continue on this new trajectory, then stay in this coaching long enough to build the new habits, to execute and get the results, you know, and typically in six to 12 months, uh, clients start to feel that sense of, okay, now what was difficult for me at the beginning is becoming automatic and, and then they don't need that ongoing support anymore. Oh, interesting. That's great. You talked earlier about making a change to your health. Can you talk about that? Bella, my number one core value in life is health and vitality. Because I truly believe that when you don't have your health, nothing else matters. You know, the, if you get sick and you can't go to work, if you get sick and you're stuck in bed, the only thing that you're thinking about is getting healthy again. And so for me, paying attention to that is foundational to the way I live. And you know, whether you agree with that or not, I do believe if you want to see success in your career in STEM professions, recognize that's a that's a profession of the mind, right? We're using our mind to create results, not our bodies in, in most cases. Well, a strong mind exists inside a strong body. And the stronger the physical systems of your body, the stronger your mental capacity to think and your consciousness will be as well. It takes energy to think. It takes energy to do great work. So for me, that shift meant taking my sleep much more seriously Sleep was always the first thing I was willing to compromise to accelerate my career, right? And and that was a huge that mistake. That is such a, that's such an engineering thing to do, right? Uh, it's, it's yes, 
It is. It really is. And it's it's tragic. Not only do we sleep less, but we we don't have quality to the sleep that we get. So pay attention to sleep. Go go check this out. If you don't you know sleep well seven, eight hours a night, and if you're not paying attention to the quality, how you prepare for sleep, the conditions that you're sleeping in, shutting off the screens, your temperature, all these things. There's so many little changes you can make that have big outcomes in your longevity and your energy day by day. So sleep was number one. And then nutrition, number two. And and these are not rocket science concepts, Bella. Right. We all know it. But but here's the crazy thing. Everybody listening to this knows the basics of nutrition and health, but we don't do it. Everybody knows that you should drink more water. Everybody knows that you know, gorging on coffee and and Red Bull is not a great decision. Everybody knows that, you know, eating out fast food, every meal is a bad decision, but we, but we do these things. So I think the question to me is always for, for my clients and to myself, like, well, what's actually blocking me from executing on what I know? Why am I not doing it? Yeah. That's the harder question. The not the what's stopping you question. Yeah. 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 And lots for a lot of us, if we just don't, we don't care enough about it now because the short-term consequences are not noticeable. It's not until you get into the long-term that you actually feel it. And so the, the best tool I would give someone if you struggle with these two areas or you struggle with health in general is stop thinking about today and ask yourself, if I live today the same way that I have for, let's say, the last 90 days, if I just took this last 90 days as an average and said, if I keep doing this, where will I be in a decade if I keep living this way? Right? So I, I gained five pounds last year. Okay, that's not too bad. It's no big deal. It's only five pounds. Forget about it. You know, I can get it off later. Well, no, you won't if you don't make a change. So ask yourself, if I gained five pounds in the last year and I do that for the next decade, how do I feel about being 50 pounds heavier 10 years from now? Is that really who I want to be? You know, and, and so get into the long time horizon with these questions around health, because that's where it sneaks up on you. And this is, a, again, you talk about lean and Six Sigma, right? These little 1% gains, like today you don't notice it, but over time, it's tremendous. I think also it kind of goes back to what you were saying about you know, creating this um, this view of what you want your life to be. Yeah, having a time frame around that is is very important too. I think, right? So For it's sure. it's you know, I, it's easy to say, well, I, next week this is what I w- would want my life to be. But to put a longer time horizon on that is helpful, whether yeah. it's three years, five years, uh, you know, whatever it is, because it allows you to create a bigger vision. But also because it allows it allows you to have that kind of thinking that you were talking about, and that would apply not just to health, but applies to to other things that that you want to do. Exactly. But I want to push back really gently on what you Please. were saying about 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 health and and about people, um, you know, healthy versus sick. And that is, um, I think, from a, a disability perspective, that we don't want to be saying to people, the only way that you can be successful, or the only way that you, you could have a good life is if you are in a completely healthy body. For some people, that's, that's just, it's, that's just not available to them, you know, for genetic reasons, or, you know, an illness that they've had something like that, that at most, you know, not all illnesses are things that are lifestyle illnesses, right? So, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think, um, 
I think that I, I totally hear what you're saying about yourself. I think the advice that you're giving and the way you're thinking about it is applicable to everyone, no matter what their starting state is. Um, right. But, you know, if you, you know, we certainly, if you think about Stephen Hawking, he was someone who was an extremely disabled body. Yes. Um, you know, relying on a machine to breathe, yet had an incredible uh, mind, right? So, um, I would just personally want to make sure that we're not taking that too far where we're discounting the abilities and the gifts of people who, um, are, you know, coming from a disability perspective. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And to me, it's an and, right? It's not an either or. Yeah. We always, you know, want to point to the exceptions, you know, to make excuses for ourselves. And so as, as long as someone's not doing that, it's it's absolutely true what you said, but if if you are not Stephen Hawking and you do have the opportunity for great health, and you're saying, well, Stephen Hawking was brilliant without taking care of his body, or he had the disability, well, so he I don't did. Know he about, had he had, right? had a lot of people helping him take care it, of his exactly, body. Exactly, right? Why he, he lived so long, right? Everything available to him to take care of his yes. body was being used, and so I think it's the same. It's a direction. It's a mindset, mm -hmm. and I love yeah. how you said it. The, the starting point, or your let's call it theoretical maximum on a scale of health as measured by whatever we want to call it. It's not about those two points. It's about the the thrust, the direction saying, yeah. Hey, how do I optimize what I have? I, I did an amazing interview with Jessica Cox. She's the world's only armless pilot, licensed pilot. She oh was goodness. born without arms. Uh -huh. And, you know, I loved what she had to share about this because she is disabled by the world's standard has no arms, but she mm -hmm. has never allowed that to be for her a reason not to pursue the maximum of what she was capable of with her body. And now she's a pilot. That's like amazing. How does she fly with her feet? You should go watch Jessica Cox. It's just absolutely inspirational. And so that's the way I coach all my clients is, you know what? There may be literal limitations uh -huh. in your situation and there's no judgment for that, but don't let that be a reason to not reach what is your limit. And Jessica's what mantra is limitless. And I just think that's so powerful, but yeah, yes, thank you, Bella, yes. for saying that. I hope nobody was offended by the comments, but um, just ask yourself, as long as I'm not getting in my own way of reaching yeah. that vision for myself, um, what does that look like for me personally? Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Zach, as you are coaching other people, and you said before that you coached yourself, do you find that when you coach other people that you are also developing that you are that you are learning new things all the time all the time bella it's actually one of those unexpected tremendous benefits of shifting into coaching full-time and doing this work for my business when a client has a breakthrough when a client discovers something about themselves and and has this aha type of moment it's not every time but it's really remarkable how often their discovery shines a light back into my own life that helps me to grow and improve as well. Or frankly, what they end up committing to or the actions that they're taking create a conviction within myself that, you know what, I can do better in that area as well. And, you know, they're focusing on better habits in their time, uh, you know, at work or better habits in their time at home. Oh, you know what? I've been falling off my own commitments in those areas. So yeah, it's really, really fun 
to do this work because I get the benefit of everyone else's hard work as well. <laughs> That's great. Hey, Zach, so tell us how people can find you. Thank you. You know, it, probably the easiest way, if anybody's resonating with these concepts or wants to explore more about what it means to create lifestyle around your career and happiness in your career, my podcast, wherever you're listening to this amazing podcast, just jump over. It's called The Happy Engineer. So search The Happy Engineer, or if you want to jump online, it's thehappyengineerpodcast.com. But wherever you listen to this show, we're there as well. So I'd love to to share with people more about these topics. If someone really wants to jump in and says, hey, I'd love to get some coaching. This resonates for me. I am in engineering and I want to build my career. Then please reach out. Uh, we would be happy to give you a free session as a thank you for listening to Bella's amazing podcast and sticking with us in the conversation. Would love to give you some free coaching. So to get that, text the word lifestyle. It's just all one word, lifestyle, to 55444. Just that short code, lifestyle to 55444. We'll get a quick conversation to understand where you're at. And then my team will put you on the calendar for a free coaching session. Wow, that's fantastic. Thanks, Zach. Zach, what would be your one piece of advice for a young person starting out? For me, Bella, it would be go seek out mentorship. The thing that I wish I had done sooner and in a broader way was humbled myself and gone out and asked for help in the form of mentorship. And I'm a big believer now in having a, a tribe of mentors. You know, someone to help me in my marriage would have been amazing. A mentor in my career sooner, somebody to help me there would have been amazing. You know, mentorship in health, like all these areas. Who's doing well in the areas you want to do well? Go ask those people for the honor and the privilege to be a mentee, see if they're open to it and get those relationships established early and often. Wow, what great advice. And, and and that resonated with me, I have to say, because I know when I when I started my career, I think I was a little bit like you. It's like, well, I, you know, I'm pretty smart. I can figure all this stuff out on my own. And boy, uh, yeah, would have been great to have, have more advice and more support in a lot of things. Hey, Zach White, thank you so much. I really appreciate you traveling with me to the edges of lean. Bella, what a privilege. Thank you so much. And you're the best. Keep doing this amazing work. Right, thanks. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Zach White for being my guest at The Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Zach at his podcast website, thehappyengineerpodcast.com, or on LinkedIn. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com, where you'll find lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.